Well, the message this morning is taken from Psalm 40 and particularly from the first three verses. Psalm 40 and verses 1 to 3, where we hear David saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The most important question that we can ever ask and answer is this. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? There are many ways in which the Bible describes what it means to be a Christian. So we find that a Christian is someone who is saved. Being saved is what it means to be a Christian. That means being rescued, being taken from the worst possible situation that you can be in and being brought into the best possible situation. It's a picture of that here in the psalm, isn't there? Being in that deep pit, the miry clay and then being brought out of that and put on the rock. The difference between being in the pit and being on the rock couldn't be more. There is a huge gulf, and that's what it means to be saved, being taken from the worst possible situation and being put in the best. Being a Christian is also being forgiven, isn't it? Being forgiven of all of your sins, having all of your sins and all of your guilt removed and knowing that you are right with God. This is what we call being justified. And again, that's what it is to be a Christian. Another way of describing it in the Bible is being reconciled. That's a lovely word. Once being an enemy of God, but now made right with God. Once there was separation and war, but now there is peace and acceptance. That's what it means to be reconciled to God. And in many ways, that is the call of the gospel. You remember that the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says, be reconciled to God. God has given us this ministry of reconciliation so that we appeal to people, be reconciled to God. And another way of describing being a Christian is being adopted being adopted into the family of God. Perhaps that is the most precious of all pictures of what it means to be a Christian, being adopted into God's family, knowing that you do not naturally belong to the family of God, that you cannot naturally call him father, but knowing that you have been taken and added to his family and included in such a way that you can call him father. Remember Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. Romans chapter 8 and verse, well it's 15 and 16 really, let's start there. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit 
that we are God's children. Better translation there is, you receive the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with your spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit assures you in your spirit that you are God's child. That verse 16 tells us something most significant, doesn't it? It tells us that when we are adopted into God's family, he wants us to know and to feel that we are a part of his family, that we are loved, that we are accepted equally with all other family members. And how does God do this? How does he assure our hearts that we are part of his family, that we belong to him, that we can call him Abba, Father? Well, it is by sending his Spirit to testify with our spirit that we are God's children. What David says about himself in the first three verses of Psalm 40 help us to understand what this looks like. What does it actually look like? Or more importantly, what does it feel like to know that you are a child of God? And this is most important for you and for me. We need to know and we need to feel that we are God's children. We need to be sure that we are Christians. Not just to have some hope that we are, but to know that it is true. John Wesley, you've heard of him, the founder of Methodism. Of course, Methodism grew out of Anglicanism. John Wesley and his brother Charles were Anglican ministers. And John Wesley, as an Anglican minister, went to America in 1735. He went there to convert the Indians. That was his intention. Very proud of him, wasn't it? I'm going to go over there, and those poor Indian people there, the natives of North America, where the settlers have gone, uh, New England, then I will go over and I will bring the gospel to them and I will see them converted and added to the church. Well, in 1735, his ship reached the Savannah River early February of 1736. It took a long time to get there. Left in 1735, arrived a few months later. John met a man there. The man was called August Spangenberg. Quite a name, isn't it? August Spangenberg. Now, this man had previously led the first group of Moravian settlers. They were Christians from what we would know as, as Germany. And he had led the first group of them to settle in Georgia. Now, John thought that this man, August Spangenberg, was a very faithful and earnest Christian. So he went and spoke to him and asked him for some advice about his own spiritual walk. Spangenberg asked John Wesley several questions. Here are the questions. First, does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? 
You see where he got that from? Romans 6, verse 16. Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Wesley wrote down later, I was surprised and knew not what to answer. Spangenberg pressed on. Do you know Jesus Christ? After pausing, Wesley said, I know he is the saviour of the world. True, Spangenberg replied, but do you know he has saved you? I hope he has died to save me, Wesley responded. Do you know yourself, Spangenberg pushed. Wesley said, I do, but commented later that he feared these words were vain words. In other words, in other words he knew that it wasn't actually true. He was an Anglican minister. He travelled to America. But he wasn't a Christian. That's possible. What would you answer to those questions if I was able to put them to you personally this morning? If I was able to say to you personally, as I do from the pulpit, does the Spirit of God testify with your spirit that you are a child of God? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know that he has saved you? These questions are vital questions. What is it that you need? Well, let's listen to David in Psalm 40 to discover what it is that we need if we are to be Christians, but also that we are to know that we are Christians. First of all, there is something that must be known. Something must be known. If you are to be a Christian, there is something you need to know. David knew that he was in a deep pit. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. David knew that he was in a deep Pit. It was a slimy pit. Terrible place to be. Smelly, wet, enclosed, no freedom at all. It was mud, so that he was getting dirty in that mud. It was a filthy place to be. As he struggled to get out of this pit, all that he succeeded in doing was to make himself more and more dirty. And it was mire. There was no foothold. Just mud, just slime. More and more dirt and mud keeping him there. There was nothing that he could grip hold of. There was no way that he could climb out of that pit. There was no hope for him. He was in the slimy pit. He was in the mud and he was in the mire, and he could not escape. Now you might properly ask, what was this pit that David was in? He's a poet. 
This is a poem. He is not talking about a physical pit. We know that there were people who ended up in a pit. Jeremiah did, didn't he? He ended up down the well where there was no water and he sank in the mud. He had to be rescued by Abed-Melech. David was never in a pit like that. He's not talking about a physical pit. He's not talking about a place. He's talking about a situation. He's talking about where he was in himself. Later on, he explains it clearly, doesn't he? Verse 12. For troubles without number surround me. Ah, you might say, ah, that's the problem then. He's got lots of troubles. We know David had lots of difficulties. People weren't nice to him, you know. That's what he means. No, he doesn't. He doesn't mean that lots of people were making his life miserable. He was making his own life miserable. Listen. Verse 12, for troubles without number surround me, my sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. That's why he was in the pit. It was because of his sins. It's because of all the things that he had done and thought and said, all the things that he himself was. He knew that he had caused his own troubles. He was in that pit and it was of his own making. That mud was the sin that trapped him. Because that's what sin does. And you know, we've got to stop blaming others for our troubles. We've got to see ourselves as we really are. We are the cause of our own entrapment. David couldn't get out because of his own web of deceit and lies and disobedience to God. That's what sin does. It entraps you. You kid yourself that you're free, of course. You believe yourself to be perfectly free. You can do anything you like. You're not bound to anyone or to anything. You're a good enough person, you say. But deep down, you know that you are not free. Every addict believes that he's not addicted. Everyone who is addicted believes that they can stop any time they like, but they're free to carry on. The reality is that they are in the grip of that addiction. And it's the same with sin. Every sinner knows that they're a sinner. You've got a conscience that's been given to you by God. That conscience is twisted and faulty, but it still tells you that there is something deeply wrong with you and with your life and it's something that you cannot fix and that something is sin and that's why you're in that pit and every one of us is there and David knew that and that is the first thing that you need to know that is the first step it's a good one to know it but it's painful isn't it when you have to admit the truth about yourself. I'm in that pit. I'm in the mud and the mire. However much I try to be better, I can't. I just get worse. There's something deeply wrong with me. And I'm wrong with God. And that's the second thing that you need to know. You need to know something about yourself if you're ever going to become a Christian. But you need to know something about God as well. David knew that only God could lift him from that pit. 
Only God could do it. There's no one else who could do it. He couldn't do it himself, of course. He's in the slimy pit. He's in the mud and the mire. But there is a God. And David knew this God. He knew who he was. He is the Lord. Notice that that name comes a lot. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he knew he was also God. Praise to our God, he says in verse 3. He is a personal God. He's not an influence. He's not an idea. He's not an invention. He is a person. This God. David knew that only this God could do him any good at all. How did he know God, we might say? How did David in that pit know anything about God? Well, how do you or I know anything about God? First of all, he's got to reveal himself to us. How has he done that? Well, we read earlier on in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. No one has any excuse for saying that God doesn't exist. All you have to do is look around you and look into the night sky and the sun and the moon and the mountains and everything around you declares that there is a God who made all of this. But God has done more than that. He has revealed himself in the Bible. God has given us a Bible and we are privileged to have the Bible. And when we open its pages and seek an understanding from God, he will give it to us. And it's through the Bible, as we read it and especially as we hear it preached to us, that we know God and we understand about him. Do you know this? You can't ever have a true experience of God until you know about him. You need to have some understanding of who he is, an almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know about Jesus, about Christmas and Easter, about God who became man. And about this God who lived a perfect life on earth as a man, as a human being. And then who died on the cross of Calvary for sinners. And then was raised for life again on the third day. You need to know about the God who created the world. The God who gave you life. And that you have a soul that is eternal. You need to know that your actions and your sins have separated you from this great and loving God. But you need to know that he is loving and he is personal. He can be known. Where do you get this knowledge from? You get this knowledge from the Bible and you get this knowledge through the church as the word of God is opened up and proclaimed. So you need to read it, don't you? You need to hear and you need to pray for understanding. If you're ever going to be a Christian, you need to first know these things. You need to know something about yourself, and you need to know something about God. You'll never know everything. You'll never know everything about yourself. There are deep recesses of our human heart that even we don't know about. And there are many things about God that we will never know until we meet him, and even then, they'll be hidden from us. But we need to know enough. Secondly, not only something must be known, something must be done. Something must be done about this situation of you being in the pit. And David shows us, doesn't he? 
Not knowing is not enough. You're in the pit, the slimy pit, the mud and the mire. You can't do anything to help yourself. You really know that. And, and God has revealed to you that you are in that pit in the, your sins and your separation from him. What will you do? What did David do? I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. That's it. That's it. Cry out to God. That is what you must do. Cry out to God. Call upon him. And what's more, you must keep on crying out to God until you know that he has heard your cry. That's why David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. How many people are there who have said, well, I did pray once, but nothing happened. I did ask once. I tried to believe. Yeah, there was a time when I prayed a little prayer, but nothing really happened. And to be honest, I, I, I haven't done anything about it since. I waited patiently for the Lord. Crying upon God, calling upon him, crying to him is not something that we just do and then forget about it. It is something that we must be serious about, desperate about. And we must cry out to him and call upon him and wait patiently for him. Don't try a quick fix. Don't convince yourself that everything is well. Don't listen to people who say to you, it's okay, you're a Christian really. I remember when you were a little child, I remember you prayed a little prayer to Jesus and you loved Jesus, don't you? You're a Christian. Don't believe it. Don't listen to it. Don't say, well, you've been baptized. Of course you're a Christian, you've been baptized. Or you've been to church all your life, you must be a Christian. Or you're a good person, really. You do good things. You're much better than people who, who aren't religious. You must be a Christian. They are all lies. They are all deceits. And if you rest on them, you know that there is something that is not right. You need to wait patiently for the Lord until he hears your cry. You need to call upon the Lord on your own, in a quiet place. But keep on and wait. Don't be rushed. Be patient. I will tell you this, God will hear you. He will hear those cries. There is not a single person who has not called upon the Lord in all seriousness and has persisted in it. There's not a single person who has ever been turned away because Jesus says he will never ever turn you away. If you seriously come to him, he will never turn you away. Don't rest on your goodness. Don't rest on your family. Don't rest on your church going or your goodness. These things will never save you. Only Jesus can save you. John chapter 6 and verse 37. Let me tell you, this is the promise of Jesus. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. 
for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's the promise of Jesus. There is no one who has seriously come to God and cried out to him from that pit of sin and misery who has not been heard. No one. He will always hear those who do that. Have you done that? Have you cried out to him from your pit of sin and misery? Admitted your helplessness? There aren't any special words. Don't think that you've got to say some special words, read a special prayer. There aren't any special words when you're coming to God. He knows your heart. And all you need to do is to cry out to him. And he will hear you. He will hear you. Your helplessness, admit it to him. Your need of a saviour. This crying out to God, you know, it, it may last just a few seconds. Sometimes someone will deeply cry out to God and in a moment they will know that they're saved. Other times it can last months, even years. And you're longing, Lord, I need a saviour. Don't give up. He deals with us all differently. Don't give up. Wait patiently for the Lord. He will hear you. He does hear you. How can I be so sure that he will hear you and that he will lift you out of the pit? Let me tell you how I can be so sure of that. It is because Jesus Christ has been in that pit. He has been in that pit, that same pit that you are in. He has been in that pit, but he was perfect. But he was in that pit and he experienced what it was like to be in the pit of sin and destruction. But being the perfect son of God, he was raised out of that pit and raised to life everlasting. And that means he can help you. He is the rock. And he can lift you from that pit. But something must not only be known. And something must not only be done. Something must also be felt. And this is important. Something must be felt. Let's go back to John Wesley. His trip to America was an utter failure. Of course it was. How can you convert somebody else when you're not converted yourself? How can you make somebody else a Christian when you're not a Christian yourself? You can't. It's impossible. So he came back, miserably a broken man. But on Wednesday, May the 24th, 1738... May the 24th, 1738, on this Wednesday evening, he says this, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, 
and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That was it. He was taken out of that pit and his feet were put on that rock that moment. That moment. But notice how he describes it. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. David felt it too, didn't he? He felt what God had done to him. Look at verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 40 for the last time with me. He turned to me. Know that God has turned his face towards you. This God who was turned away from you, this God who was distant from you, has now turned to you. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Believe me, when you are lifted from somewhere, you feel it. You know that you are being moved. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. He did it. Nobody else. He did it and only he did it. And David felt these things deeply in his heart. What was that rock that he was now standing on? That rock was none other than the Lord Jesus, who is the rock of ages, solid place on which we put our feet. And when you're standing on the rock, you know it. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. But you know, these things need to be known in our minds. They need to be known and understood. But they need to be felt in our hearts you need to be sure that you are a child of God the spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are children of God he assures you that it is so these feelings will not always be intense but they will be there they will be there they must be there Something true and living to have happened to yourself. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're lifted out of that pit of sin and mire by a God who saves you. And then he puts you on that rock, on that solid place for you to stand. And you know that you're secure, not only for this life, but for all eternity. There is a hymn that expresses these things more clearly than I can ever put it, and goes on to speak about the contradictions of the Christian life, strangeness of it all, the things that you know and feel that seem to conflict at times. Listen to this lovely hymn. It's not in our hymn book. I don't think it's in any real hymn book anymore. By Joseph Hart. And with this, I want to finish this morning. Let us ask the important question. Brethren, be not too secure. What it is to be a Christian, how we may our hearts assure. Vain is all our best devotion, 
if on false foundations built, true religion's more than notion. Something must be known and felt. Tis to trust in our well-beloved, in his blood has washed us clean. Tis to hope our guilt's removed, though we feel it rise within. To believe that all is finished, though so much remains to endure. Find the dangers undiminished, yet to hold deliverance sure. Tis to credit contradictions, talk with him one never sees. Cry and groan beneath afflictions, yet to dread the thoughts of ease. Tis to feel the fight against us, yet the victory hope to gain. To believe that Christ has cleansed us, though the leprosy remain. Tis to hear the Holy Spirit prompting us to secret prayer, to rejoice in Jesus' merit, yet continual sorrow bear. To receive a full remission of our sins forevermore, yet to sigh with sore contrition, begging mercy every hour. To be steadfast in believing, yet to tremble, fear and quake. Every moment be receiving strength, and yet be always weak. To be fighting, fleeing, turning, ever sinking, yet to swim. To converse with Jesus, mourning for ourselves or else for him. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. Do you know anything about it? As Christians, we will often find ourselves back in that pit. We have to cry again and find ourselves lifted and firmly put back on that rock. That is what it means to be a Christian. To be able to say with King David in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for the reality of a true experience of salvation. We thank you that you are still the God who lifts men and women, boys and girls, out of the pit of their sins and puts their feet firmly upon the rock which is Christ Jesus, your Son. May we know this for ourselves as we ask these prayers with the blessing and the peace of our God. In Jesus' name, amen.